You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to TFM's local party place. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and we're so excited to be in the 602 Club tonight because we are legitimately, as a recording, celebrating the birthday of none other than Christy Morris. Woo! So you're the party host today. That's right! That's right! I'm so excited <laughs> to be the party host. It's going to be so much fun. And uh, to get this party kicked off right, we've also welcomed in our good friend, John Mills. And I was planning all sorts of hijinks, uh, like uh, Three's Company, when they had birthday parties and stuff like that. Always seemed fun. I was going to have the uh, the sawdust cake and everything like that. Just didn't have time. <laughs> but happy birthday anyway, Christy. Oh, thank you so much. Glad I could join you on this special day to talk about a very special, momentous movie in film and history. Yes. not to give anything away yet, but that came out the year of my birth. No kidding. No kidding. Wow, I feel old. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, you know, all I know is I'm not too old for this uh, yet, and so <laughs> I'll keep doing it mm-hmm. for as long as you'll have us. But uh, before we dive into our episode here, as we're going to be talking about Lethal Weapon, uh, you can catch up with us all over the place. Uh, so first, uh, if you've got a podcatcher that allows you to do something like rate or review or give stars or whatever it is, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of those other places, please do that. You also want to make sure you are subscribed to the podcast because that way you get the shows as soon as they drop. And not only are you getting the 602 Club feed, but uh, John and I kicked up a show that we've been doing, and we're back at it now with Assembling Avengers, so you'll be getting those episodes coming out every month as well now. Uh, and, of course, you could find us on social media, where we'd love if you'd follow us and share us with your friends on Twitter, at the 602 Club, or on Instagram, at the 602 Club TFM. Of course, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm with the entire network. Listeners-only discussion group there that you can join and talk to listeners from all over the world about every show that's happening. Plus, we're online at trek.fm, where you can also see everything that we've got going on here in the network. And if you'd like to help out the network and make sure that things can keep coming to you each and every week, not only the 602 Club, but everything else we do, You know, we're about to hit 400 episodes here, and the only reason we've been able to do that is because of listeners just like you helping us out at Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm, and we could definitely use support. Um, It's been a rough few years for us in that way, and if we don't have the support, we won't be able to do this. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team. So this wasn't on the outline at all, but Christy, you mentioned that Lethal Weapon comes out the year you were born. So I guess a question then that I'm really interested in, is this another one of those movies that your dad let you see way too early? (laughs) How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it wasn't in the theater, clearly, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have been, I guess, I mean, if you'd seen it, you know, as a baby, you would not even remember, so it wouldn't even matter. Listen, you can't rule it out. I always love to tell the story of, what was that, that Liam Neeson movie uh, that also came out in 1999, The Haunting, or something like that? Yeah. Uh, Went to a midnight showing, and somebody brought their infant child with them, and I saw a shouting match ensue because the baby was fussy, somebody complained, and, you know, Mm -hmm. I was... Meanwhile, I was sitting there. I was like, seems inappropriate to bring a baby to a midnight showing. But hey, what do I know? What do I know? Yeah. I just wanted yeah. to watch the movie. So. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, well, it wasn't like that for me. Um, but yeah, I do remember seeing this um, very, very young um, because it wasn't until I did the rewatch that I realized that I remembered the scene at the very beginning vividly like in picture in my memory and just didn't remember what it was from until I rewatched this and went oh yeah because I remember being like dad why did she do that (laughs) 
<laughs> that's, a, like, that's an interesting scene well, to have in your mind as a child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say no yeah. to drugs is why. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, yep. See, okay. You know, that, uh, wow. That, your dad's pretty cool. I'm just gonna say this, okay? Because that, that, like, I had to sneak movies like this when I was a kid. Your dad's like just showing you a lethal weapon. Like, I like your dad's style. He's pretty cool. I feel like that my mom would come home and be like, "What are you letting her watch?" Hey, don't stifle him. He's leading by example here. He's hey, he obviously produced a wonderful daughter. Everything he did, this works out fine. Oh well, thank you. So there you go. That's phenomenal. What about you guys, though? Um. You know, I'm pretty sure for me, this isn't something that I saw until college. It wasn't out of movie. You know, my parents were going to let me watch as a, as a high schooler. I mean, rewatching specifically understanding why. Um, but it, this is something where as I kind of branched out uh, in my life and was watching movies I hadn't seen uh, because I was kind of in that age place where it's like, yeah, you weren't going to see an R-rated movie in, you know, 1987. I wasn't old enough. And so, but uh, yeah, this is something I caught then and, you know, watched through the series. And part of that is too, because this series is something that continues through when I was in college. You know, we we go all Mm -hmm. the way through the late 90s uh, and into the early early 2000s, if I remember correctly, uh, because I think Lethal Weapon 4, doesn't that come out at least late 90s, early 2000s, yeah, it's something like that? best to forget Lethal Weapon 4. Anyway, that's it, not the it question. It came out. That's and all I, I no, we'll have that. Nope, we'll have that fight later uh, on a different episode when we finally cover that one. But uh, anyway... So that's when I saw it. John, was this something that uh, you caught with your brother uh, when you were watching things you shouldn't be watching? Yeah, this was, I, I mean, I don't have a specific memory of it, but it was definitely a videotape sort of thing. I, I And the, the thing is, Chrissy, maybe this speaks to how differently wired we are. You remember the opening moment. I just, I remembered the fight from the end. Like that captivated me as a kid. I was like, that is oh. badass. I, I really dug that fight from the beginning. And, uh, uh, you know, we can touch on it later, but it actually marks an important historical moment in a sense, uh, because of some of the fight choreography. So Mm. it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I I think it's, it's also something to which I feel like this is one of those movies, you know, because the Mel Gibson movies that I saw growing up were ones that, you know, weren't R rated like, um, forever young. So it's familiar with him as an actor because of those type of films. And then this is something that, you know, I watched later in college and really got interested in his work. And then, of course, you know, he would do Braveheart and all that kind of stuff and, you know, became a fan. But, yeah, that's that's really that's really fun. I I love that you guys have, you know, much better stories than I do. So Um, but, Christy, you mentioned something that is really fascinating about this movie to me because I did not remember. It's been a long time since I've seen this. This has a really visceral beginning. opening with that suicide of amanda and you know how how as an opening for this what becomes this franchise how does this strike you well clearly from a very young age it definitely hits you in the face um and feels immediately like this is a a much more serious film than you think initially you're possibly getting into but then it is named lethal weapon so they're really showing you the lethal part um but i think that it's this kind of way of starting a movie is always something i think is a good tool to use because you're not dealing with any kind of um boring exposition or anything they're throwing you straight into the middle of the the story and then having to backtrack as you go along from there to really fill in all of the pieces so i like that style and i always have um but definitely it is really jarring and especially if it's the first time that you're seeing it yeah it's I, I, it's interesting because it is a, it's a shocker moment to start off. You know, it, it, it does throw the audience, you know, off, off guard. I think what's super interesting about it is it starts with all of these helicopter beauty passes of the city and you're just, you're sort of lulled into the sense of rhythm, the, this calm where it's like, Oh look, it's LA and everything. And then, uh, you know, every time I watch it, I kind of marvel at how 
for the time at least, how smooth they would do it all with computers and drones now, but how smooth that shot is that goes in to join Amanda inside there at first. It's a really well done shot, technically speaking. And so it lulls you in and you're immediately like, okay, well, wait a minute. Why am I in here? What's, what's going on here? And obviously something's wrong. What I find interesting about it is I do, and this is more a function of getting older and everything is it starts off in such a prurient way that it's, um, it's one of those things I can't help but approach where it's like, I know that this is the instigating factor of everything, but did it need to be staged the way that it was staged or was it done in, in such a way to, you know, appeal to certain audience sensibilities that it could have worked without and stuff like that. And that's sort of like how I approach that, that moment now, but it definitely does, you know, I mean, it gets under my skin. I have a fear of heights. So like seeing her even climbing up on the thing, I'm just like freaking out. Cause it's like, I, I could be, I get cast in movies. Okay. And then the first thing you have to do is, yeah, we'll have safety netting and everything, but you climb up on this thing. Well, uh, I quit. Uh, yeah. I, I know she wasn't in any specific danger because that, you know, they have all of the safety precautions and everything, but it's still one of those things where it's very unsettling to watch that moment. No, I'm the same. Christy, how do you feel about what John was mentioning? So, I mean, it, it definitely, lets you know that something is not right. I mean, because in general, if someone is behaving like that, it does strike you as odd. Um, it, because she's alone, for one. It'd be different if she was there with someone um, and had a reason to be, like, seeming, like, sensual and kind of in a dream state almost. And then you're realizing, oh, okay, you know, it's because clearly there's been chemicals affecting her body. Um and then you really, you know, get it when she climbs up on the balcony. But yeah, I mean, definitely it does say something and get to you. And I think that that's what they're going for above all is the the shock factor to show you how serious, A, the movie is going to be, but then also of a situation that you can get yourself in. And I I think it does open up the door to like the the rest of the storyline for the whole movie being focused on um, how the mental health aspect in general can then lead to things like this and that you know that's such a big part of humanity that we don't don't need to ignore yeah it's really interesting that you say that because you know obviously I think one of the things it does is it lets us know she's high as a kite I mean that yeah. that she is completely not in what anyone would consider her right mind. And in that, you know, you were also mentioning that it's the, it's the perfect like Nancy Reagan moment of just say no, because this is what happens. You know, you could just find yourself yeah. jumping out of a building. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I want to, I want to hit on that real quick before we, we move forward. Right. Is this is also something that sort of strikes me a lot uh, when it comes to, movies with implied or explicit anti-drug moments where you look at it you're like wow this, this is a terrible sort of thing knowing especially in the 1980s the drug problem that's going on with all of the people on set legendary tales of what people were doing behind the scenes in terms right. of you know cocaine and other drugs and everything like that i always find it so weird to have these sorts of things in the movies because at what point do people on the crew and in the film and producing the film and distributing the film, not one person watches this stuff and says, you know, maybe there's a point here. Maybe we yeah. should do something to stop this sort of behavior on set. Yeah. It just, yep. it strikes me as so weird. And that I, it, this time that really hit me too, because especially mm -hmm. think of the 1980s, all of the stars where I've heard their stories about how much cocaine they were doing on set. And it's like, why, why wasn't anybody saying, yeah, you know, guys, eh, maybe not. Maybe we should stop. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And countless people that overdosed. And yep. I mean, it's like no one connected the two. This is just my day job about drugs. And then I'm going to go do some when I get home. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're right online 
there, uh, John, because to me, it, it again, all of this kind of like fit where the movie is going, which it, and Christy, you mentioned too this this idea of like it can create this kind of mental illness, and and so which is something this movie talks a lot about, very interestingly, and and we'll dive into that in just a moment, but. You know, just dealing with what happens to Amanda, the fact that, yes, there it is kind of a shocking scene in many ways, as you were mentioning too, John. Is it completely necessary? I don't necessarily believe that to be the case. Like, I don't think she has to be topless for this to be so jarring. Um, but I do believe that the condition that she's in, in every way that that word can be taken— plays into what this movie is saying about her and her state of mind and what she's been going through. And, you know, from what we kind of learn about her later too, just what in the state she's in, in dress and in mind, um, also makes sense in many ways too. And so, uh, you know, I I think there's, um, it, it is really jarring but I do feel like the movie legitimizes why that it, it does that and why it chooses to do that in a way that uh, plays out in the rest of the story. Um, and, you know, I think you're also right, John. This is par for the course in 80s films, really, R-rated 80s films, which is that they they didn't – they took advantage of the R rating. They didn't hold back on, on anything here. But I think this one's to the advantage of the story, other than it just being like, we're going to give everybody a look-see right here at the beginning so that everybody's interested. It 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 felt like more than that, even though that probably is also a part of everybody involved's like, oh, we're going to hook them right away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's probably part of it, too. If you have an R rating... Yeah, how much? Yeah, <laughs> lean into it. <laughs> I, I guess at the very least, it, at least question mark, you get Mel Gibson nudity too. So it this sort of balances, this I guess. True. You yeah. know, so at the prime of his life. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he was he was looking good in this film. So speaking of Mel Gibson <laughs> and Riggs. And Chrissy, you brought this up, and I think it's the perfect time to kind of dive into this because dealing with loss and the mental state of Riggs is a big, huge part of this movie in a way that dealing with mental illness wasn't necessarily something we did really well in the 80s, I wouldn't say, you know? Uh, And, you know, it's not the same as today. We're you know, going to therapy and all that kind of stuff is is so much more kosher now for people. Um, the state of mind that he was in was something which people weren't necessarily ready to handle or knew how to handle. In fact, the only one who really knows how to handle this is the psychologist at the station, and she is getting, you know, like told to shut up, basically. Who cares? And so I really like that this movie digs into the abject sadness of this character doesn't shy away from it but also gives us a good picture of like what it means to come out of that and not do it alone Mm -hmm. no i mean one thousand percent i think that this also is so much of a weighty situation because he is not only clearly dealing with the loss of his wife which i do realize they explain later she died in a car accident but um also that he seems to have a little bit of PTSD from Vietnam um, because they mentioned that a few times and that he was special forces and has that tattoo and stuff. Um, And I think that it really um, was such a good thing that they focused so much on the um, psychiatrist that was part of the police office because it's also a risk for the anyone that he works with and any mm-hmm. possible suspects that he is having to bring in if he's not okay. And that's why I'm glad that at this point in real life that we seem to care a lot more about that at this point because we've realized how much it affects police officers on the job, whether or not their mental health is okay. And that, you know, they could intentionally or unintentionally hurt someone because of that 
Um, and, you know, I mean, I think that it, it speaks volumes that Murtaugh is concerned about even having to partner with him. So I, I like that they show how important that is. And then also just of what it could really feel like for someone who's going through the throes of suicidal thoughts to the point of being very much on the edge of pulling the trigger and something holding him back. Um, and I like that they show him then go through the motions of saving someone else who was about to jump off the roof. Now, obviously jumping with him wasn't really the idea, but um, I thought that, you know, it shows how he's also able to help someone else and realize he's helping himself at the same time. Yeah. I look, I, I think that one of the reasons Mel Gibson becomes such a star after this is he does such a fantastic job as Riggs. Yeah. Uh, you believe that he is this guy. Like I, I, you know, Mel Gibson has a decades long career after this movie. And I still, this is one of the first things I think of for him because this is him. Like this is, you can tell like certain, certain actors and actresses, you can tell that something's coming from inside of them that they can relate to what this character is. And I think that, um, you know, yeah, I, I, he, he does a very effective job of playing it. You, you believe him. I do think, and, and just to to speak to something you you brought up, Christy, is yeah, you know, there are cops that have this, and that there, you know, there are people every day that have this that are carrying this with them. I think the thing that does not age well is the fact that their captain has a very blasé attitude about it. Because when we meet the psychiatrist, she's saying. This guy's got to be pulled off the force. He's going to get himself or other people killed. He's Because the thing is, it's not just he's a danger to himself. What if he snaps and takes other people out that he shouldn't and that sort of right. thing? And the captain's response, played by Richard Donner, is, yeah, okay, whatever. If he does it, then you were right. You know, and, and it's, it's like a TV laugh line where it's like, wah, wah. No, that's not funny. And it's it, 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 it's something that doesn't age well, and I don't know how funny it played back then, but definitely now it doesn't play funny at all. It really yeah. makes the captain look like a jackass more than anything else, because let's be honest, Riggs should be pulled off of the street. He should be put on a desk job. He should not be given a weapon. This is a guy that seriously needs help. Now, obviously, we don't have a movie if he doesn't go out there. And we know that this is movie logic and all of those sorts of things. But I just think that particular aspect of it does not age well, uh, you know, in, in the context of everything else. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're absolutely right, John. And in many ways, I almost wonder if that might be the point that... Richard Donner here is trying to make and you know I, I, I would love to know but it, it really does seem like you know the the portraying of the captain in the way that he does the fact that Riggs shouldn't be out there all of these things really do seem to kind of play into this idea that um, we should be doing more for these people but nobody takes it seriously uh, and what's so fascinating and I you know I think you're 100% right in the fact that it, no, it doesn't work anymore uh, because we all realize that this is something that does need to be taken seriously. These people people need to be okay to not be okay and to get help, right? Um, and what becomes so interesting to me about the movie is the fact that really the only way to help somebody like this is to um, give them a sense of purpose and of meaning uh, in, in a way that... Murtaugh ends up doing four rigs. You know, he he accepts that R Riggs is not okay. And then he lovingly begins to share his life with him to, a, I think in many ways, he, I don't even know if he intentionally does it. He just, you know, just the kind of the thing that, you know, People did for each other back in the day, but he brings Riggs to his home. He introduces him to his family. He he lets him inside of his life to make life seem a little bit more worthwhile again. And and so there's something I think really to me was really beautiful about that because 
Riggs also finds something else to live for, not just the job, but I think the protection of Murtaugh's family becomes personal to him because he's been let into that family. He's been he's been seen as a person again, like not just a person who does a job. Like there's something so beautiful about the way in which we deal with this character. It and it's it's not like preachy or anything like that. It yeah. just is. It's just the way that we're meant to like take care of each other. And there mm-hmm. and 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 this is something that which I think it's very 80s in the sense that we we don't have these guys talking about their feelings big time, right? You know, we don't have those big things like that. But there's just this way in which Murtaugh helps take care of this broken man. And I think in many ways just help show him, hey, life is still worth living. You know, life is, there's still life out there for you, even though a lot of things have happened to you. And, and so to me, that's just something that really stood out in this rewatch. And I was really actually impressed with it. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if if that's completely the way in which it was meant to be uh, in the sense of like that, that's what they were going for. But that's what I got out of this. And, you know, I, I think what what's beautiful about it is that it still holds up today because that's exactly what people in this position absolutely need. I, I, I think you're right. And I think it is intentional that. Basically, the antidote to Riggs's pain is for somebody to show him love mm. and acceptance. Yeah, and that's and I think that I think that what makes the whole thing work for anything that doesn't age well or anything like that is you can tell that the affection between Danny Glover and Mel Gibson is genuine. Yes, uh, as everybody yeah. knows, they're friends to this day, and I think that that is a chemistry that really makes the entire thing work. If these two people did not have the off-screen chemistry that they're able to bring on screen, I legitimately think this entire thing flames out. And it just becomes a very forgettable, on the tier of Jean-Claude Van Damme-esque action movie of the 1980s, where you think about the fight scenes and some of the cooler aspects. Because let's be completely honest that the script here... As fun as it is, and as as great as the dialogue plays thanks to that chemistry, this is w- maybe one notch above sitting down and watching Kickboxer or something like that. <laughs> the, the, the plot is absolutely broad brush, ludicrous. The mechanics of it don't make sense if you slow down and you and you think to yourself, well, Oh, there should be another scene here that sort of explains some things and uh-huh. they explain this part of it just with a line in a scene about another thing. And it, it, so it moves. And what I couldn't help thinking, and this is going to sound like blasphemy because this is directed by the great Richard Donner. But this is a movie where I cannot help but look at it and wonder what it would have been if somebody like a McTiernan had done it. Now, McTiernan, the year later, comes out with Die Hard, which uses Michael Kamen and like half the cast from this movie uh, in, you know, the ultimate Christmas uh, action movie. And you can't help but draw comparisons sometimes uh, between the two of them. And I, I just, I'm not meaning to jump ahead or jump sideways or anything like that. It's more about the fact that I think that there are a lot of aspects of this that are saved by the fact that Gibson does such a great job with playing the pain of Riggs. Oh, yeah. And Glover does yeah. such a great job of genuinely loving him in a way that feels auth- so authentic that you believe that these two people exist and function. Mm-hmm. Because without yep. that, this yep. thing doesn't work. Period. Yeah. And yep, I, I guess maybe that's that's the thing we got to give credit to Donner and the casting agent for is they knew that when they got the two of them together, they said, yeah, okay, great. This is something that can work. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. When they legitimately say that it was like magic. And yeah. that's the kind of thing that I think you've really hit the nail on the head with, John, is that there are plenty of other movies as well like this where 
the the chemistry and the genuineness between the actors has to be there to give the movie the heart that it needs to make it interesting and to feel like it's more than just surface level and that it's not just another action movie, you know, insert different actors. Um, and yeah, I mean, they have it and they really make you feel like these two guys who are reluctantly paired together become like brothers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even, you know, down to the moment where they both intend to save each other with that final shot fired side by side, which was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It it has its pluses and minuses from a technical, like yeah. my own nitpicky sort of look, look at things, but it, it's the classic ending. And again, to draw another comparison to Die Hard, which comes out a year later, it's it's that, you know, the, the blonde bad guy gets up when he's should have been defeated and you know you have that that thrilling, oh no he's back <laughs> right <laughs> yeah you have that thrilling moment and uh, yeah so uh, i i agree with you that's a great moment i think you're absolutely right john um uh, i think to to just look at the movie from the perspective of the fact that yeah, it it is saved by these performances this is why this movie lives on as it does is because these performances are are so good um that they carry the movie to the point where people want to see more of it you know this is one of those things where you know you 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 created a casting and a buddy cop film here where people saw Glover and Gibson together and it was magic that's what people raved about in the movie, which is what enabled them to then make more because these guys had the it. You just wanted to see them on screen again together. And Mm -hmm. that's something that's, you know, really special and it doesn't happen all the time. Um, And so I think to me, you know, even rewatching it, that's the thing that I love the most. Like I'm, I just dig the way these guys interact with one another. It's great, and it, it really, it, it said like you said, John, it says something. The fact that that Danny Glover and Mel Gibson to this day are still friends, um, and you know, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are completely different when it comes to their worldviews and all of those type of things. But these are two guys who genuinely are like brothers to each other. And you get that on screen and you get that in real life. And when you have those two things together, I think that's what really makes this work. And so um, speaking of which, Danny Glover, you know, I think to me, one of the things that... (laughs) becomes more and more apparent as I get older and older uh, is, uh, you know, well, uh, getting older. And I think he plays this so wonderfully uh, of a man who is, you know, having to deal with the, with the ravages of time. And of course, you know, I think part of that is, is coming um, with the fact that he's paired with somebody who's younger here as well. And so all of that kind of, puts that into even more perspective for him. But I just think he really pulls off this this role of the beleaguered cop who just can't believe he has to have another partner. And it becomes one of the best things that's ever happened to him because this has never been a good thing for him to have another partner, especially at this age. Well, and he starts off the movie with, you know, it's sort of something we can all identify with where he's kind of sensitive about turning 50 anyway. And then his kids are telling him, Oh, you're getting a little gray. Why don't you shave your beard? Um, Or, you know, like, Oh, happy birthday, old man and all of that. And he's just looking in the mirror like, really? Is it really that bad? (laughs) Um, And uh, you just feel like kids just like to rub it in, don't they? Um, And then really him being paired with Riggs turns out to be like you said Matt the best thing for him because it also makes him realize he's not dead yet like yes you're getting another year older but you've still got vitality to you and Mm -hmm. have something to offer and it's all about how you feel not the number that you are yeah yeah although 50 seemed a lot older when I saw this for the first time 
That's all I'll say. <laughs> right? Right. It seemed John? a lot farther away. <laughs> and it mm. doesn't seem so far away now. And now he's like, oh, uh, you're 50. You're so old. I'm like, whoa, hey, back <laughs> off, bro. All right. It's not so bad. You know? Oh, I'm not there yet, but I'm a lot closer than I'd like to be. So, you know, hey, hey, maybe yep. let's and reassess then, things. And then he does shave the beard and someone says, you look older without the beard. And he's like, I, what? <laughs> I no. can't yep. win. They're, they're wrong anyway. Beards definitely age you. They're, they're, there's there's no <laughs> doubt about it. No yeah. About it. <laughs> oh, I, I've got that, especially since, you know, now that my beard has lots of gray in it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to hide. Um, I, I did want to ask just so... I, I, if there's really any scene in this movie that I didn't feel like uh, ages well, um, it's Danny Glover on the morning of his birthday enjoying a nice bath <laughs> as one does. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then his entire family walking in and having him blow out the candles as if it's normal to see dad in the bath. Um, that was weird. Yes, it is, and I can tell you, um, that. It is bizarre because my reaction wouldn't be, oh, ha, 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 everybody's in. I'd be cursing everybody out if they came into the bathroom while I was taking a bath for two reasons. One, baths are disgusting. They're ab- I, who wants to sit in a big stew of their own filth? It's gross. Power wash it off you and move on. Number two... Yeah, like you're like it's not even like really a bubble bath or anything. who what kid wants to go in and see their dad in the bath? That's the more <laughs> concerning thing. My mind yeah. like I can only imagine like you know my my wife being like, "Come on kids, let's go in and see dad in the bath." They'd be like, "What? What are you out of your mind? Why would I want to yeah. see that?" And I I'd be in there saying, <laughs> yeah. "Why would they want to see that?" That's it's so yes, yep. I agree with you, Matt. Yeah. But they play it off like, this is so normal. They're just a really close family. It's fine. Yeah. He even no. almost, pulled, like, he jokingly goes to, like, pull his son into the bath with him. Like, whoa, hey, bro. No, no, nope, no, nope. no. Yep. All of that is wrong <laughs> in a thousand different ways. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it really is. Um, we, you know, we did actually mention the, the chemistry part. and But one of the things that I, I thought was interesting is the way in which... Myrtle and Riggs both awaken one another with an, a love of life that they didn't have before they met one another. You know, Murtaugh is feeling his age. You know, he's he's feeling the job, I think. And Riggs, I think, reawakens in him the love of the job. And not just looking for the easy answers. And, and Riggs is reawakened to the idea that there's more to life for him to have other than just the job, even though he lost his wife. And so I, it's one of those things, John, when you were mentioning like this, the script stuff, it's like I think everything else is secondary to them and their story. And the, the tale of these two men helping one another see life from a new perspective that they need to which leads them then to better life. And, and to me, that's just so beautiful because like, you know, this is a, a, a perfect movie about why it's so important for men to have good male friendships and what they can mean to our lives. And I think that's one of the reasons I really responded to rewatching this movie is because that's really what this movie is about is two men who have been through a lot of stuff in their lives. You know, they both went to Vietnam. They've both been through things in their life uh, with work. They've had losses with friends and family and stuff. And it's like they help each other find the spice of life again. And to me, that's that's a really cool thing to, to see in a film where, again, it's not about, you know, shoving it down your throat it's just about letting the story play out with two charismatic actors working off one another and it really playing well. And it does. There's no denying it. I, uh, I, I, I wonder how much of the, like there are so many parts of this that you can rework and modernize, but it really is that central thing that needs to stay solid. That's what makes it so enjoyable. But what I'd like to ask you, Christy, is like, the functional aspect of this, I think Matt rightly identifies. It's two male characters and they're bonding in a certain way and they, they buoy each other in a certain way and there's a certain shared experience coming at it as 
you know, an adult female, it, is there as much for you to, to hang on to in here? Or is this something where it just needs to be acknowledged that this is sort of a, I, I know that people will roll their eyes. Some people might not like hearing this, but is this one of those ones where you look at it and you're like, yeah, I like it well enough, but it's really kind of like a guy's movie. This is like two guys sitting around type of movie. Or do you think that this has some sort of universal appeal regardless, you know, to everybody? I think that's a good question. And I definitely see it more as it has the universal appeal. I think that um, although it has aspects of it, obviously, that are distinctively masculine, um, that it could be applied in a similar way to female friendships. That, you know, there's just something to be said about two people of the same gender that are um, having an understanding between each other and you just get each other. You know, I feel like that's what I really get out of it more than anything is that both in the movie and clearly personally in real life, they have that connection that's kind of unexplainable and you feel it when you make, make a new friend, even as an adult, and it's just instant, you click and then you want to talk to each other constantly and see what each other thinks about all the important things in your life. And um, yes, maybe sometimes you fight, but you get through it kind of thing. So it, that's where I come at with it is even, you know, even though I'm not a man, obviously I can get something out of that. Cool. I, I'm actually happy hearing that. Because that, yeah, that's, that's what, well, I mean, that's one of those things that you can't help but think of when you're watching it is, well, does this play well for everybody mm -hmm. you know like because it is so so you know male centric you know through the whole thing so i'm glad to hear that it has that sort of appeal i real, I, I legitimately am because like that's one of those things where you like hearing that sort of thing because it's like oh okay all right it, it's not just uh, me that you know or people like me that like it that it, it does have yeah. a broader appeal yeah cool yeah and I maybe not everyone sees it but sure that's how i see it yeah, no, I think that's a great question, though. And John, you mentioned this idea, you know, where the rest of the the storyline here doesn't necessarily uh, play out as well when it comes to the story of kind of following the leads and where we get um, with all of these different characters and how they all fit together, especially with the very beginning where, you know, Amanda jumps out the window and why she did that and all. And so I'm really interested to hear both of y'all's opinion on that because, you know, we, we get this shadow company who is involved in Vietnam, uh, part of a CIA paramilitary unit, and they apparently secretly ran the Vietnam War out of Laos. Uh, and I didn't know that, but I learned it here. And, uh, substantial heroin trade going on around with the natives and then they basically bring that idea back mm -hmm. here to yep. the u.s and they're doing it in la and being a big hub for for heroin now there and that's what these guys run into and so yeah i mean how does that story work out for you guys now here's where team crackpot comes in laugh me off all that you want to but that's a little more rooted in truth than people want to realize um you, you just go back to um you know, what Serpico broke up. Uh, watch the movie American Gangster, done by Ridley Scott, um, uh, uh, starring Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. It's the real-life story of what Serpico was based on, and it was about a guy who claimed, you know, he, he was military in Vietnam, and he started running a drug trade out of it, you know, heroin and everything like that. And they, they make mention to Air America in here, which we know was a thing. It wasn't a thing until they admitted it, it was a thing um, and stuff like that. So it completely functions. It leans very much into some of the conspiracy theories about what the American interests were specifically uh, for the military industrial complex in Southeast Asia and stuff like that. So I think it works perfectly fine because somebody like me sits in the audience and watches it. And is like, yep, okay. All right. I know where they got the inspiration for that. And I, I think it functions perfectly fine. That part anyway. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I I think that also as um, a person who's watched a lot of other movies about conspiracy theories and always wondering if 
you know, the government's really telling you everything. And we know by now that they're not. Um, I would say that this is plausible to me at the very least, if it if, even if it ended up being, you know, um, that it wasn't actually true. It feels like it's likely, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I, I liked that angle. And then especially the tie in to um, Riggs's character also being connected to them in a loose sense, um, you know, that they were he was also a part of Shadow Company and had the tattoo, I think was a cool thread to add in. Um, but definitely showing how guys in the military can you know end up really having a lot of um difference in how they deal with things after they come back mm-hmm. you know i getting back to the the whole mental health aspect too you know with these guys clearly decided that they were in the right about what they were doing and just kept on going with it because who cares if it screws up for everyone else i'm getting something for me um and then by contrast, Riggs, who literally has nothing, is actually a good person. He's just mentally dealing with a lot um, and and trying to find that purpose and stuff again and deciding not to go that route. So I, I do think that's really interesting. Well, there's even uh, an interesting uh, you know, flip side of the coin with Mr. Joshua, played by Gary Busey. That's mm-hmm. what Riggs could have been. Because yeah. Mr. Joshua is just processing the the pain and mental shock in a different way, in a much more focused way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there's there's also something to be said for the fact that the Vietnam conflict in specific was something that a lot of eighties movies were dealing with. It was it was a a a cultural scar that everybody was working through in the 1980s a lot of movies dealing with it and a lot of movies where this you know it's it's a pivotal point in a character's journey or their past and i think that this is definitely something that speaks to that whole thing that everybody was still working through the idea of why were we even there what did we gain what did we lose? What did people go through? 20 years later, people were still trying to figure that out. And well, I mean, honestly, you know, the war hadn't been over for 20 years by, by that point. It'd been over for, you know, 15 years or, or what have you or, around that. And so it's very recent history. And it's something all of these guys remembered. And so more than anything else, it's about that psychological scarring that everybody carries back with them because nobody nobody blinks it's not a shock that pretty much every male character you run across was in vietnam <laughs> right mm-hmm. everybody it seems like everybody was in vietnam and it's like well yeah that's kind of how it would have worked most people would have been like yeah i was there and um so you know I, I, it's it's definitely a reflection of what everybody was trying to process mm-hmm. yeah i think to me I'll- in all honesty, everything you both said is is just right on target, and I, I think it all works the way it needs to because this isn't the focus of the movie, but I think it fits together well enough so that you know I, I buy it. It it makes sense, you know, and everything they do here, like I, you know, I don't have any problem with them, you know, with the Vietnam angle, especially in the 80s. Like you said, John, this makes complete sense why this is still such a big deal, you know, uh, and kind of using some of those conspiracy theories or whatever uh, to kind of create this type of movie um, and, you know, help explain, you know, (laughs) one of the big drug problems that we have uh, in the United States that, you know, the 80s was so famous form as well. I, I think all of this just fits together very nicely. It's like they, they took all of these elements and were able to create something that as you're watching it, it just feels like it fits and it works. And that's what you want because the rest of the movie is really about these two guys' performances and their characters and what they're going through. And I think, you know, Busey and Mitchell Ryan are perfect as the villains. They're they're just sinister and and, you know, terrible and that's exactly what you expect in these type of movies and and um, you know, 
it, I think it all makes sense. And the other thing that I actually think works really well um, for me is this soundtrack by Michael Kamen, as well as the great Eric Clapton performing uh, in the guitar riffs and everything. Man, I love this kind of like jazzy, bluesy, you know, it just, this is kind of what I expect from an 80s film. And I mean, the fact that you got Michael Clapton to 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 do the the guitar here is just phenomenal with the writing with the and performing this this theme. It's it's uh, it works. It so works. Do you feel it all works up to and including the song that plays over the closing credits? Because that one's a doozy. Did anybody stay uh, in, and listen to the song? In the, I the don't think I listened to the song. Oh, the that's a darn so, shame. Yeah, yeah. Shame on both of yeah. you. You should always watch the credits. Every single one of those people had something to do with the success of this film. Up to and yes. including what I hinted at in the beginning, that fight scene at the end, I can promise you for myself and a lot of other people was the first time we ever saw anything like an arm bar or a triangle choke from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I noted in the credits that that there were three different advisors for things, and one of them under, quote, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, end quote, was Horian Gracie. Legend was the advisor on this, and that's why you see those moves. And this is just around the time the Gracies are starting to assert some dominance in the martial arts world. And um, we're not far off from the start of the UFC and and things like that and it is it was great to watch i I think that this is an incredible time capsule because you can see a specific moment where it that first little seed is planted for what would become a just an absolute worldwide phenomenon Mm -hmm. in terms of martial arts and um i i just think it's it's wonderful i just had to make a point to say something about it because i was just so pleased because it's been a very long time since I watched this, and I always remembered enjoying the fight scene, but this time I watched it, and I was like, hey, I know what those things... Oh, my gosh, this would have been the first time I would have seen this. And I, I texted my brother. I was like, hey, this is the first time we saw these things, right? And my brother was like, yep, spot on. And I was like, yes, <laughs> you know. So it's just fun to watch. It, that, that's a monumental moment in American film history, in my opinion. And then you got in trouble for replicating those moves on your brother? Oh no, my brother would have replicated them on me. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. no, I, older no, brother. I, I, you know, I, I, like like everybody of a certain age, I, I've dabbled in that. You know, learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're very likely to get yourself injured if you're not careful. But um, I mean, it's great. I, you know, there's a reason that 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 BJJ you know caught on, and it really is a very film friendly art. Uh, mm-hmm. because the the moves very much lend, they're very functional moves they're very useful they're very real world practical and they also film very well because there's you know th- there there's the actual contact and the you know and the leverage and everything like that and the time it takes to apply things but you know I got to give Gibson credit for you know he obviously paid attention uh to what was going on so yeah yeah i mean i'm glad you brought that up because i was reading through you know different behind the scenes things. And that was a big thing that they focused on that the actors had to do a lot of training and choreography on to make sure that they would do it realistically, but also not get hurt doing it. Um, Well, and and I, 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 I'm so sorry to cut you off because I was just going to back that up because in certain moments you can look and see that, for instance, Gary Busey's hand is put out in such a place that he can tap if he needs to. Like, okay. like uh, especially when um, Gibson is putting on the triangle choke, you, if you pay attention to Busey's right hand, you can see that it's in the ready position to tap the second that he needs it. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to walk over while you were no, talking. No, no. There, so that's fine. So. I think I think that's a good point to bring up. And I I thought it was funny too because just a, as a personal aside, I thought it was funny. My uncle actually does still um, do capoeira. Oh, cool. And that was another thing they were yeah. trained in in um, the midst of also learning um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I thought that was funny. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, good, yeah. good for your uncle. All right. Yeah. If you ever meet him, he is a tough beanstalk. 
<laughs> I, you know what? If he's got reach, that's if that benefits him greatly. He's greatly. like six five or something. Oh my oh gosh! My gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you got to get inside to to even deal with him at that point. Then he can keep a, a good distance on you. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I was going to ask both of you about that, John. I'm glad you brought up all of that about the fighting style and everything, because obviously that's a big part of the character of Riggs and especially moving forward as well. Uh, but how, how do you feel like the fight works now, especially with the editing that Stuart Baird does with the fight and the way that the lights are shining in, does it still work for you? Does it f still feel like what you remember or, you know, now looking at it all these years later, is there something you would have done differently? A pox upon you for asking that question. Um, I think that the visual language gets a little muddled and it's unfortunate. I think that um, the problem doesn't so much lay in the editing as in the shots that they get. There's too much shadow. There's too much water mm -hmm. on the lens. Yes. And I think that that's why a certain part of me looks at this and thinks, you know, what if McTiernan had directed this or somebody else who is a little more comfortable with fight scenes and backing off and letting me watch and appreciate the choreography instead of pushing in and trying to cut back and forth really quick to try to give it this energy. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, that's, that's the thing about BJJ is it's not necessarily this highly, especially at this point in history, Right. MMA hasn't really become a, a thing at this point. So it's not a super high energy thing. It's all about finding the moment and dominating your opponent, regardless of how long it takes you to get there. So it very much feels like they're trying to imbue energy and speed into this with the way that they edit things together. And I hate you for asking the question because I hate picking it apart like that. Um, so I still enjoy the fight scene, but I still think that it, it could have been put together better visually, especially at certain points, because since they did do the choreography, since they did learn these things, since that they, they did put in the work, don't introduce camera shots that make me wonder if they're stuntmen. That's what yeah. I would say. And maybe I'm too forgiving of it. I kind of took it as, well, they're trying to make it feel very gritty and grounded. And, you know, like he could have taken the easy way out and just, you know, taken him in and at gunpoint and been done with it. But no, you know, Riggs wants to actually get one up on this guy for himself for the future as well. He really wants to just basically have it out and be done with it so that they know who's top dog i would also say that again movie logic so i'm willing to let things go the whole mm -hmm. time as an adult that i'm you know i'm what it's been many years as i'm watching it now i'm thinking to myself boy it's too bad mr joshua pulled the gun at the end because he had a hell of a lawsuit on his hands right here because <laughs> <laughs> there's no world in which yeah. this is a legal but oh yeah like i'm sitting there i'm like Oh, this is awful. This, no, 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 don't do this. That's not one of your Miranda rights. You have a right to be fought by your cop. <laughs> I, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you beat me, we don't charge you with anything. And you can go back to running your heroin ring. I, if like, you win, just... you leave. If <laughs> I win, you come in. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. The, the legal basis for that final confrontation is sketchy at best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's funny. You, I asked the question, John, because I knew that you were going to feel that way, and I felt that way too. Just watching it, 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 I just felt like it did take away from the fight to have it be this thing that you can't see the moves. You know that you. Uh, it's the same reason I was dinging the Kenobi Vader fight at the end of that show where everything's so pushed in, you're missing the choreography that they've spent so long putting together. And we know these guys can do and we're just not getting to see it. And that's, that's the frustrating part. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And I just wanted to add to as an aside of um, we did or John did um, allude earlier to some things that maybe just didn't quite make sense that you don't ding it too much for, but still are noticeable. I have to say the one thing that bothered me about this movie is how in the world did they ambush Mr. Joshua at Murtaugh's house when Murtaugh was injured and not really able to walk well and Riggs was like racing on foot and you know Mr. Joshua got away in a vehicle already on his way to Murtaugh's house it just didn't make sense how they would possibly beat him there and have had time to set everything up they had the advantage Mr. Joshua was trying to remember how to get there they already knew how to get there he needed a map right and if you (laughs) did get there first I don't know what planet Murtaugh was living on, where he said, the best plan here is to <laughs> ram a cop car, not just through my living room, but destroy the Christmas tree and all of the presents that yes, I spent yes. money buying for my, my family, mm-hmm. um, instead of having us waiting inside with our guns drawn saying, hey, Mr. Joshua, you're going to prison now. Uh, right. You know, I, I but but that's the, that's the thing. That's, it's, it really is, that sort of B movie mentality that is its charm. Mm -hmm. This is so ludicrous and it embraces its insanity that you can't help but love it anyway. Mm -hmm. Like it it really is one of those things where if one piece that does work, doesn't work, this becomes you just rag on it. You can't wait until you see the riff tracks on it. This is just one of those absolute funny misfires. But because of the things that do work, you wind up forgiving so much mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what else happens. Yeah. And that that is a classic moment where if you spend just a little bit of brain juice thinking through, you think, huh, well then, to your point, how did they get there first? And how did everybody yeah. get there first? So, and, you know, yeah, so... There you go. And have time to leave a note. That's true. Dear <laughs> <That's>, bad guys. <laughs> yes, that's that's very, very true. Stoplights? I don't know. Maybe he took them. <laughs> it, it's pre-Google Maps, so he didn't know the quick way home. There you go. That's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. Well, <laughs> in, in that vein then, what would you guys rate Lethal Weapon? I'm letting Christy go first. No, no, no. No, it's your birthday. You go first. You go first. (laughs) You're the guest, though. No, it's your birthday. Um, Okay. Um, So I um, hadn't rewatched it in quite a while, but was still pleasantly surprised at the things that did hold up. And, you know, like we all said, in spite of the silly things, the things that worked well really make up for a lot. Um, And I do want to add in the... Um, acknowledgement as well since I didn't earlier of what Matt was saying about the music. I didn't realize how much Michael Kamen had done and then in the intro seeing Eric Clapton's name I was like well I know this song isn't Eric Clapton uh, because it's Christmas music but um, knew we were going to hear it at some point and you definitely hear it and and having that bluesy music as well really fits for some characters that are kind of feeling washed up and not sure what to do with their lives, um, but gives you a level of hope with it as well. So I did want to really say I props to the music. Um, so yeah, ultimately I give it a four out of five um, adorable dogs because Riggs did have a really cute dog who came back in the end. Um, and uh, yeah, ultimately really still enjoyed it. What about you? Oh, this is tough. Okay. Before I give a rating, I'm going to say I have five stars of affection for this movie. Okay. I okay. Will this always sounds re- bad. No, 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 no. <laughs> I will always rewatch it. But there's a tough part of me. My heart wants to give it four. My brain wants to give it three and a half as a generous rating because there are problems here. There are problems. Mm-hmm. And this is the most heretical thing I can say as a film fan, but Richard Donner was not the best director in history. He has a lot of movies 
that succeed seemingly in spite of him as opposed to because of him. Uh, There are certain things that I pick apart here, but today, today, because I'm so overjoyed at spending time with Christy on her birthday, my heart wins out, and I'm going to give it a four, uh, just because it it is like as cheesy. It it's so damn enjoyable. It really is. Like I, I you can't watch this movie and not have a good time. And uh, Mel Gibson gives such a great performance. Danny Glover gives such a great performance that my brain says one thing, but again, my heart says four, so I give it a four. This is and really here tough. comes here comes Mr. Darkness. Here comes the storm on the horizon. Bring in your <laughs> no, best, is, kiddos. What's he going to give it? This is really tough because rewatching it and then rating on our letterbox, I put three and a half. But as we were talking about it, I think that the character work here is enough to elevate it to the four. Because it's it's Gibson and Glover at their best. And they're just so much fun to watch. Like I would I'll continue to rewatch this movie throughout the years because of them. And mm-hmm. you know that's the thing is you don't always have to have the world's best movie to have a great movie to watch. Because performances make film. And this was really made by the performances. So I will go with four out of five. And so, Christy, on your birthday, where can anybody find you uh, if they want to catch up with you? Uh, of course, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell and on Facebook in the Babel Conference. And uh, I am, of course, when I'm not here on the 602 Club, you can find me on my finished show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabres and Spells. And hopefully, you know, maybe more to come in the future in something else. But um, that's still online at Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. Nice. And John, where can everybody find you? Oh, look for me over on uh, the social network of your choice as Castle Junkie. And then find me over on the Nerd Party Network, co-hosting two shows. One, House Lights, where we look at the work of directors through different lenses and categories and that usual rigmarole. But it's been a lot of fun. Surprisingly, we've we've already crossed 100 episodes. And where has the time gone? And you can find me over on a beautiful little slice of Star Wars heaven, in my opinion, called Aggressive Negotiations, which I co-host with you, Matt Rushing. And, of course, uh, you could find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. You can also find me here on the network when I'm not in the 602 Club doing The Orb with Chris Jones. Talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, and Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds. And when I'm not over on the Nerd Party Network with John doing aggressive negotiations, you can find me doing Owl Post with Dre Kaufman, where we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. And I'm too old for this.